Well, good morning. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer, please. Our Father, we come before you this morning to give you praise and honor and glory. We desire to give you worship that is acceptable in your sight. And Father, as we focus on the scriptures of Daniel in this hour, pray that uh, we would gain understanding, that we would understand clearly what the scripture is teaching us, and Lord, more than that, that we, in understanding it, would apply it to our lives, that we might be more like Jesus Christ. And so, Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together. Thank you for the church. Thank you for fellow brothers and sisters who edify and strengthen one another. May everything we do in this place today be pleasing and satisfying to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is week number 12 in our study of the book of Daniel. And last week we started in chapter 4. Hopefully today we'll come uh, to the end of chapter 4. And you'll remember that in this chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar relates another dream that he had, a second dream. I believe it's much later in, in the time frame that many years have passed since uh, the original dream and since the um, three friends of Daniel were thrown into the fiery furnace. I, I think that maybe 30, 40 years have passed since that time when we come to chapter 4. Um, it's late in Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and because the next, I get that from the next chapter, it talks about his son being the king, and Nebuchadnezzar is not mentioned again after this chapter. And you remember, th this is different than chapter 2, where the king did not tell anybody his dream. He wanted them to tell him the dream and the interpretation. Here, Nebuchadnezzar relates his dream. He tells all the details of it, and yet none of the wise men of Babylon can interpret this dream. And then, of course, Daniel comes on the scene. I don't know why he didn't go to Daniel first, but he didn't. And Daniel gives him the interpretation. That's what we'll see this morning. This, this whole chapter, from the very beginning to the very end, is a proclamation that Nebuchadnezzar makes and he addresses it to all the inhabitants of the earth. So everybody who's under his kingdom and outside of his kingdom, which would not have been many people, but um, he is making a proclamation after he's had the dream, he relates it to Daniel, Daniel gives him the interpretation, a year goes by, then seven years of insanity, and then he comes back to his senses, then he makes this proclamation. So this proclamation is after everything has already happened, and Nebuchadnezzar is basically proclaiming to, his, to the nation what has happened to him personally and what conclusions he has come to based upon what happened to him. So this whole thing is Nebuchadnezzar speaking and proclaiming what took place. And so just keep that in mind as we go through this. Um, there are a couple of things that I think are very significant that he says that uh, are meaningful in what he talked about. Now, last week, we went all the way through verse 18, but this morning I want to back up and, and just talk about a few things 
that are in verses 15 and 16. So um, in verse 15, this is Nebuchadnezzar telling what the proclamation of an angelic being was. So this is an angel who's come down from heaven and in, in his dream and is giving him uh, what will happen. So in verse 15 of chapter 4, Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. Okay, the, re the reason I wanted to go back here, this is the verses, these, beginning in these verses. Um, the angel changes from talking about a tree to beginning to talk about a person. And you can get that for, you know, let him um, remain in the field and let him eat grass and let his, let his mind be changed. And so he was talking about a tree, but clearly um, he gives us a clue here that this is a person that he's talking about. And so then I want to talk about the seven periods of time and how long is that? Um, because the scripture doesn't tell us um, this is as descriptive as it gets, seven periods of time. And so there are people who believe that he's talking about seven months, and there are people who believe he's talking about seven years. Now, I fall into the camp that believes this is seven years, and I've got a couple of reasons for that. Um, if you look over at verse 33, and this is a description of Nebuchadnezzar after he's lost his mind and he's out in the field. And verse 33 of this same chapter 4, immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. Okay, so you think about that a little bit, and what, what does it mean that his hair had um, become like e eagle's feathers and his nails had become like bird claws? And so you look up some things, uh, you can do the same searches that I did, and you'll find that hair grows about half an inch a month. So in a year, your hair will grow about six inches. And based, unless you're Mark, and you don't have any hair, but are even, we have other people here who have no hair. <laughs> but but uh, if you have hair, it grows about a half an inch a month. So in seven months, it would only have grown three and a half inches. So not very long. But in seven years, it would have grown 42 inches, so three and a half feet. And so very long, and you can imagine what your hair would look like if it didn't get washed for seven years, and if you didn't comb it for seven years. It becomes very matted and pressed down, 
And if you look at the feathers on an eagle, which I had the privilege to do about three weeks ago, um, they're all matted down until he spreads his wings. And then they're all, you know, you can see them all. But before that, you can't. And they're all tucked in and matted down. So that's one of the reasons. And then his nails became like bird claws. And again, you can look this up. Fingernails, toenails grow about a tenth of an inch a month. So they grow a little over an inch in a year. So in seven years, not trimming his nails because he's a wild beast, his nails would be like seven or eight inches long. So if they get like that, they're probably going to curl and, you know, and become thickened. And so his nails are like bird claws. They're eight inches long. And his hair is, you know, four feet long. And so that's one, the, the primary reason why I believe we're not talking about seven months, we're talking about seven years, because the transformation to this description that's given um, would not have happened in only seven months, but it would happen in seven years. And so that's my simple reason why I believe that we're not talking about months. You can't prove it one way or the other. You have to decide where you're going to go, but this, those are the reasons why I go to seven years. So I think that's what we're talking about, that Nebuchadnezzar actually loses his mind, is given the mind of a beast. He goes insane, basically, for seven years, which is a long time. You know, the argument against that is that no kingdom could stand for seven years without its king that it would become in disarray. But the argument for that, from that perspective, is that by the will of God, Daniel had been put in charge of the kingdom underneath Nebuchadnezzar, and under him, his three friends were in charge of the administration. So those four men could have certainly kept the kingdom together for seven years, especially when Daniel said, when he gave this interpretation, that in seven years Nebuchadnezzar is coming back and his kingdom will be restored to him. you got to remember, after this time, no one doubts what Daniel says. He's been right every time, and no one dares go against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because those guys went into a furnace that was heated hotter than the furnace had ever been and walked out unharmed. And so these guys have a lock on the kingdom underneath Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar being the only one that's higher above them. So I believe that for a time such as this, that God elevated those four Hebrew men so that they could hold the kingdom together while Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. And so God has been orchestrating this. We've seen that all the way through. He is the one who appoints kings and tears down kings. He's the one who's um, in control of the realm of mankind, the scripture will say here. So he had put those four um, Hebrew men in leadership so they could hold the kingdom together while Nebuchadnezzar was absent. Um, so that's the argument for seven years. So you have to decide. Uh, I'm not going to argue with anybody about it. I just have my reasons why I believe um, that it's seven years. 
So we'll continue on this morning. We got through verse 18 last week. So we'll pick up in verse 19, and we'll just read the narrative here. So beginning in verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. Nope, that's chapter 3. Chapter 4. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you (coughs) and its interpretation to your adversaries. Okay, now to me this is very strange for Daniel, first of all, to be appalled that God is going to do something to this um, idol-worshiping pagan king, and yet he is. You remember that I believe this is probably 30 or 40 years after um, the early chapters of Daniel. So Daniel has been in leadership underneath Nebuchadnezzar as number two in the kingdom for a long time. And being in that position, those guys would have had to work together. And so apparently um, there's a, a relationship between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar that has some endearment to it because Daniel would wish this to happen to Nebuchadnezzar's enemies rather to Nebuchadnezzar himself. And so he's appalled, and Nebuchadnezzar can see it on his face. Um, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know what the dream means at this point, but he tells Daniel, you know, don't, don't be appalled, don't be overcome by this, um, just tell me what it means. Um, So there's this relationship between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Um, Certainly Nebuchadnezzar uh, admired Daniel. You remember when Daniel gave him the interpretation of the first dream, he bowed down and honored him. A ridiculous thought that the king of the world would be bowing at the feet of some young Hebrew guy who he had captured and brought as a captive to his kingdom, and yet he does. He, he bows down before him. So right there you know that Nebuchadnezzar admires Daniel. Certainly here, when he gives him this interpretation, he believes it to be true, although he doesn't respond to what Daniel tells him. So Daniel goes on and he gives us the interpretation of the dream in verse 20, where the scripture reads, The tree that you saw, which has become large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged, it is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reach to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth, in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it, it, it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field 
until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. So Daniel actually here at the end gives Nebuchadnezzar some advice that if you um, begin to do righteousness and you quit your sinning, that God may grant you more years of prosperity and this may, basically saying this may not happen to you. Um, now, Daniel's giving advice that Nebuchadnezzar absolutely ignores. He doesn't pay any attention to it, and we know that by what comes next, and I'll, we'll read that in a minute. But you'll notice here that Daniel basically repeats what the dream was and then gives the interpretation, and that is that Nebuchadnezzar is the great tree. He is the one who feeds the whole earth and who is, has dominion over all, and yet he will be felled like a tree would be chopped down. But the stump will be left in the ground. And the reason the stump is left, because of what it says in verse um, 26, where it says, your kingdom will be assured to you after you have recognized that heaven rules. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to be given his kingdom after all this takes place. But for seven years, he's gonna go insane. He's gonna be like a wild beast. He's gonna eat grass. He's gonna live in the field. He's gonna be around no people. It says he'll be driven from mankind. So Nebuchadnezzar is out in the field somewhere um, while his kingdom is being run by Daniel and his friends. And it goes on for seven years. Now, Daniel not only tells him what's going to happen, he tells him what God's purpose in all of this is. And you can, he says it actually twice in here. Um, in verse 25, he says, you're going to be like this until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he pleases. And then at the end of uh, verse 26, he says, after you recognize that heaven rules. So while Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's the ruler and he thinks he's the mighty king and that he has the greatest kingdom, he actually has it only because it's been given to him by God. And it was God's purpose for him to have it. And he doesn't recognize that before this takes place. 
but he recognizes it afterwards. So um, you can see that he clearly doesn't listen to Daniel's advice. He goes on and um, takes glory for himself and his kingdom. Um, you look at verse 28, and he says, all of this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. So this is Nebuchadnezzar again, proclaiming to his empire what happened to him and what has taken place over the last seven years. So this is after the fact, Nebuchadnezzar says, all of this happened to me, Nebuchadnezzar the king. And he says in verse 29, 12 months later, that is 12 months after Daniel gave him the interpretation of what was gonna happen. 12 months later, he was walking, talking about himself, on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. So here's Nebuchadnezzar walking around on his rooftop, similar to what we saw uh, remember that Dan, uh, David did when he was on the rooftop of his palace, looking over his kingdom and saying, look what I've built. Look how great I am. For the glory of my majesty, I've built all of this. So very prideful, very arrogant, not listening to Daniel's advice to stop his sinning and give up his idol worship and honor the one true God and let righteousness dwell within you. He ignores all of that. And so because of that, and because he's taken glory to himself, verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth. So while he's up there praising himself, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. So in an instant, God establishes kings and God removes kings. And so here in a split second, he removes Nebuchadnezzar from his sovereignty. And you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So there's the judgment pronounced on Nebuchadnezzar. And it's harsh. I mean, this is a harsh judgment from God that the man absolutely, the, the most powerful man on the planet, loses his mind and is given the mind of a beast. And so he acts like a beast until God is going to relinquish him from this judgment. He knows, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know it at this time because he's out of it. But Daniel knows and counts down the years, I can imagine, for seven years. He knows it's going to last for this extended period of time, but Nebuchadnezzar will come back. 
because that's part of the interpretation of the dream. So, you know, there's a lot of people say, this is just a fable. This didn't really happen to Nebuchadnezzar. You know, his cause, he, he really didn't grow long fingernails. His hair really didn't become that long. This is just uh, um, um, a fable and uh, represents, you know, something else of how God can humble people. Um, you know, I believe it's not a fable that this actually happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, there is no record in the chronicles of uh, the Babylonians about this, so that's why people say it's just a fable. Um, but, and you know, so was the uh, interpretation of the first dream, and so was the men being thrown into the fiery furnace. These things didn't actually happen. Um, they're just uh, to give us examples or to teach us truths. But, um, you know, if you, if you go that tact, then you've got a real problem with the rest of what Daniel says in the in predictions about the future. And so I don't go there. I believe the predictions about the future were accurate, precisely, and that Daniel gave them 400 years before they actually happened. And I believe these stories are true that these things actually happen. Daniel is an older man, um, later in life, at least 80 years old or so, maybe 70, no, he'd be 80. And he's relating what he remembers that happened during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Because he's writing all of this after the Babylonians are gone and the Persians are in control, is when he's actually writing this down. So he's remembering what happened. And Daniel's not making things up. He's writing what he remembers, um, is what I believe. Um, so um, there are many, many people, and you can find their books and read them, who say that is absolutely not true, that um, these are just fables. But those same guys believe that the book was written in uh, the 100s BC instead of the 500s BC. So I disagree with them there also. So we'll just disagree with some of the so-called experts and believe that this is a real story and this really happened to Nebuchadnezzar and it goes on for seven years that he loses his mind. And so, go ahead. Sure. It has even greater impact than the real story. Oh yeah. Oh, there, there is, I mean, all of these first four chapters, the reason, why don't you start in chapter six, where the eschatology actually starts, instead of walking through chapters one through five, because there are great truths in these earlier chapters. As a matter of fact, remember we said that in chapter two, we get the theme of the whole book, which is that God is in control of his creation that he is sovereign not only over the heavens, but over the realm of mankind. And he is active, and he does things. Um, he hasn't just wound us up like a, a clock and sent us on our way like the deists believe. Um, he is active, still working today, although we don't see his handiwork um, like we would want to see it like these guys did, but God is still doing these same things. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was a brutal, evil king who destroyed all of the kingdoms of the earth and conquered them. 
and put most of their leaders to death. He did the same thing to the Jews. So, um, but yet, God is the one who established him as king. Same thing was true when the New Testament takes place, that the Romans were brutal, evil leaders, massacred scores of Christian people, and yet God established the kingdom of Rome. He says so here in Daniel. So, uh, <laughs> sure. Well, we, we look at Hitler, but there are men who are just as evil as Hitler on the planet today. Yeah, I mean, God is establishing what he wants to take place. It's that simple. And if you have that perspective, then you can not get so antsed up about what's going on. You know, it helps you to comprehend how could this happen. And, um, you know, there's a lot of evil going on in the world today. There's a lot of evil going on in our country today. But God is in control. He's still sovereign. He's still ruling over mankind. He's still working his plan. He hasn't changed a thing. His plan was written when, uh, we'll see it later, that the angel actually opens the book and reads it to Daniel to tell him what's going to take place because God's got it all written out exactly what's going to take place. He knew, knew we were going to be here this morning. So, um, you know, Yeah. And, and thoughtless about human life and you could get. They, they thrive on putting dead people up on posts to, to show what they've done. Right. But look what he says at the beginning of chapter 4. Peace be multiplied for you. Yeah. The, Yeah, I mean, that, that was crazy when he says Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all the peoples. That's everybody on the planet. Nations, men of every language that live in all the earth, may peace <laughs> abound to you. So, um, this, well, this is the guy who destroyed the whole world in order to take control of it. So this is how you know, first of all, that it's after the seven years have taken place, and I believe it's after the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, that was the second point. Is this is a caution. The more man-centered our theology is, the more we better be careful. Because you look at Nebuchadnezzar here. What he says is, he, he hears the revelation about what's about to happen, and what's he do? He doubles down. Yeah. On his ability to rule over God. Right. That, that is and, it's pure sense. and it's why does Nebuchadnezzar double down and believe that he can overrule God? Because he doesn't know God. He's seen examples of what God can do, at least two of them, right? Uh, that's the interpretation of the dream and the men coming out of the fire. Yet, and we looked at it before. 
when Daniel gives the interpretation, he says, the God of Daniel. And then when the three men come out of the furnace, he says, the God of these three men. So it's not personal. He doesn't know who God is. But here it's very different because, again, back at the beginning of this proclamation, um, in verse 2, where we just read, it, it has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonder which the Most High God has done for me. That's personal. So he quit talking about the God of Daniel and the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, the God has done for me. Right. So let's let's see the Nebuchadnezzar change and what happened. Verse thirty-three, he does um, go insane, and then verse thirty-four. Now the only reason that Nebuchadnezzar could possibly say this is because God gives him his mind back and shows him that this is true. There's no way that a wild animal with the mind of an animal <clears throat> could come to this realization. So this is the work of God in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Verse 34, but at the end of that period, that's the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High God and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to, end, to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? That is not the same Nebuchadnezzar. That is a man who has been humbled. He says so as he goes on. At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. So he goes back and is even greater than he was before this happened, but then look at what he says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So here's Nebuchadnezzar at the end of seven years of insanity, saying it was just, for God to do that to me because I walked in pride and he humbled me. So I believe this is the words of a converted king that he not only <clears throat> says the right things, which he had said before, but now it's personal and he says God is just in judging me. 
That's the, that's the words of someone who believes in God. Right. Yeah, this is God clearly working in Nebuchadnezzar's life throughout the, all of these chapters. But even before that, all the way back to the kingdom of Josiah, where Daniel learned these truths and learned how to worship the one true God. You remember the one good king who lived and, um, and returned Israel to true worship of God Daniel was born in that kingdom and grew up in that kingdom. And so that's where he learned these truths. And that's the reason that God had all of that orchestrated is so Daniel could learn them, so that Daniel could be in relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. And ultimately, God used Daniel to lead Nebuchadnezzar to himself. So you, you see God orchestrating I mean, is there any question in your mind that God establishes kings and removes kings? I mean, you see it in Nebuchadnezzar's life in living color. And again, this is not a fable. This is what actually happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And God did it so that Nebuchadnezzar would realize that heaven rules, that heaven is sovereign, he's not. Yeah. And yet, here's what's the one purpose in all that that makes you think about those people you encounter in your life where you just want to run from. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you never know what God is at work doing. You don't know. And you notice that we haven't gotten to Daniel and the lion's den because that happens in the Persian rule under Darius, not under Nebuchadnezzar. So that's coming. Um, another the fable, right? No, I don't think so. Um, so you see the truths. Now, the reason I think it's critical that you walk through these opening chapters and you understand what God is showing and demonstrating, because the last, what are there, there's 12 chapters here, so the last seven, six, are all about what's going to happen in the future. And if you don't grab hold of the truth, in these opening chapters that God is absolutely sovereign and in control, then you lose your grip on the last six chapters and what God says is going to happen in the future, which some of which has not yet happened. And so he paints what's going to happen beyond us. And so if you don't grab hold of these chapters, you'll lose the last chapters. So it's critical that you walk through this, you understand the truth, you understand that God is sovereign and that he is working his plan and that he will continue to work his plan until it's done. That's why the New Testament can say, in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ was born. What does that mean? That God had orchestrated everything up until the time of Jesus Christ. He was born at the perfect time for the Old Testament 
prophecies to be fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah, and now, you know, and so Daniel will talk about where we're at now and what is yet to come. And so understanding and grabbing hold and believing these opening chapters is critical to your understanding of those later chapters. Yeah. Still... You know, what, what those kind of thoughts, the meat in their mouth and God acts and the words in Nebuchadnezzar's mouth and God acts, there's a day coming and God hasn't marked where all of a sudden Jesus Christ will come again and things will be radically different. And we don't know when it is. And, you know, Nebuchadnezzar didn't know he was going to get zapped on that day either when he's on his palace saying, look how great I am. But it happened in an instant. You wonder how he uh, ignore Because uh, he's arrogant. <laughs> well, Daniel being, so, Daniel being so accurate in everything he said, yet Nebuchadnezzar in his pride and in his arrogance, standing on top of his rooftop, looking at his kingdom, saying, look how good I am. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's the downfall. I mean, Scripture says so, right? Pride comes before the downfall. So thanks for your time this morning. We'll pick up, Lord willing, in chapter 5 next time.